0: You're listening to the In The Rhythm podcast from the Johnson & Johnson Institute. Dr. Panico and Dr. Allende are being compensated and presenting on behalf of Biosense Webster, Inc., and must present information in accordance with applicable regulatory
1: requirements.
2: I was the guy who didn't want to be on Facebook. I was the guy who saw, like, why would I want to be in this virtual environment where I'm connecting with people I don't know? And uh, I've realized, you know, there is tons of value making those connections. And it gets your foot in the door. It it opens up the opportunities to meet new people, to have new experiences. um, And more importantly, it opens up a ton of opportunities for growth.
0: You have to build your personal brand. And I think that's something that you wanna increase your own value. That's how you can use social media to actually grow. You wanna show what sets you apart. And, and that's something that even if you leave a practice, you know, whatever you've documented out there is still there, it's, it's
1: you. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of In the Rhythm from Biosense Webster. Today's episode is going to focus on the use of social media for electrophysiologists. And we are very privileged to have as our guests today, Dr. Ambrose Panico and Dr. Hakeem Allende, who are both young EPs that graduated fellowship roughly three years ago, And have been kind enough to spend some time with us today on the podcast. Gentlemen, welcome. And thank you for joining us. Dr. Allende, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to where your practice is today.
0: Yeah. Hakim Ayinde. I uh, currently practice at the Cardiology Associates of Fredericksburg. This is my second job. When I finished training, I I was at Novant Health, which is a health system. I was there for two years before I moved to the current practice. At this practice, I I took over the EP at, uh, from two other EPs, and uh, it's it's been um, a it, it's been a great experience um, working in private practice. You know, trying to learn things and trying to actually build a practice, it's, it's been very rewarding. I'll say I found electrophysiology. It's um, my second love. My, my wife is my first love. Uh, <laughs> she doesn't believe that. But um, when I was an intern uh, at Howard University, we had a patient that was in atrial fibrillation and he had a cardioversion and the heart stopped. And you pause. Okay, half a second. One second, and you see, beep, beep. Oh, it's back. Oh, wow. You can actually stop the heart and restart it. This is amazing. What is EP about? And and that's really what led me down the road to EP. So I, I did cardiology fellowship so I can do EP. I did my cardiology training at uh, University of Iowa. And, uh, you know, I, during that, I had a privilege of... Uh, Finding a mentor, uh, Rick Hobson, and he actually told he taught me how to approach EP, how to approach EP from a fundamental basis, and that has led me down you know the amazing road. I did my EP training at uh, Emory. Uh, I had great teachers: uh, Mike Lloyd, uh, Michael Elshami, uh, Anand Shah. Faisal Merchant, you know, so it's, it's been, you know, three years down the road and I still find EP every single day I wake up. It's just, you know, amazing being in the lab and being able to do the things we do.
1: Thank you for that. Dr. Panico, tell us about yourself.
2: I'm Ambrose Panico, super excited to be here. Uh, If you would have asked me three years ago when I came out of fellowship, If I would be doing a podcast about social media, I would have said absolutely not, no way, but it's funny how things uh, turn around. Um, I am an electrophysiologist in uh, Mesa, Arizona with Cardiovascular Associates of Mesa. I'm an assistant professor of clinical medicine at University of Arizona, Phoenix, and I'm the medical director at Banner Heart Hospital for the EP and cath labs. Um, I found my way to... EP kind of through the back door. I went to medical school to be a cardiologist, a hundred percent, no doubt in my mind, that's what I was gonna do. And then I actually thought I was gonna be an interventional cardiologist uh, until I became a resident and spent the night in the hospital with a couple of interventional cardiologists and the fellows on call. Uh, And then realized that it wasn't for me. um, And then I met one of my mentors while rotating at the VA hospital, And actually kind of opened my eyes to what EP was because I had no idea at that point and then fell in love like instantly. And it was just like one thing after the next. I was like, oh, that's amazing. Oh, that's cool. Uh, I did my medicine residency, chief residency, cardiology fellowship, EP fellowship, all at Loyola um, University Medical Center in the west side of Chicago um, and was fortunate enough to stay in one place that had a great, strong EP program with a a very strong history and uh, to work in Dr. Dave Wilbur's lab. And so it was kind of a no-brainer, didn't really want to leave, didn't really think it was necessary uh, to go anywhere else. And in the process had some great mentors uh, and great um, teachers who now are colleagues
1: and and friends. Fantastic. Well, again, gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. We're so glad you're here. Now, I want to jump right in because anyone listening uh, to this now is we're all familiar with social media as an entity, as a a force that has certainly become a, a natural part of most, at least in the Western world, most folks' everyday experience and Social media has all these implications, right? And and I'm sure we'll get to some of those, but at the heart of it, it's connections and connecting with individuals, people, groups, and things of that nature. So the two of you have evidently connected in the past. This podcast is not your first meeting, so I'm interested to find out how the two of you met.
2: We've actually never met in person. We met through social media on Twitter. Um, you know, kept seeing the names pop up over and over, re- responding to other tweets and, Uh, other topics, and then kind of just started responding to each other.
1: Dr. Allende, how did you first start to utilize social media in your practice? I joined social
0: media way back, Facebook, Twitter, just to socialize. And I didn't think of social media as um, anything that would be part of my profession in any way. And I think what really changed it was uh, the COVID Pandemic When everything got shut down and that was like the tail end of my training, social media came in and actually brought EPs and other departments together. And, and I think that's when the e community on Twitter also grew. So it really changed my approach to social media. And I went from non-professional to now my Twitter handle is pretty much 100% professional, networking and sharing knowledge.
1: What was your experience as well, Dr. Panico? I'm I'm curious how you kind of dove in.
2: Very similar. Tail end of my fellowship was the height of the pandemic, so we couldn't have conferences. And so a bunch of very well-known electrophysiologists said, hey, you know what, let's create a platform to, to share and do lectures and things of that nature. And so we would Get together and watch these virtual talks from people who are the experts, you know. Bill Stevenson talking about VT and entrainment and Dr. Bellhausen talking about Bellhouse and VT, just like things that you'll never have outside of a major conference. And so it was really kind of eye-opening what the possibilities could be. It became this awesome platform to collaborate and and share knowledge. And one of the coolest things I think is you can you can get like virtual mentorship, right? You can ask the people who are leading the field on these new techniques, new technologies, and you can just shoot them a message real quick through your account and boom, all of a sudden you're connected and you're getting feedback from the people who are literally writing the papers. And so that was a pretty cool experience that started to open up my eyes to the value of what social media
1: could be. Now, were there any preconceived notions that either one of you had about uh, what getting involved in a, in a social media thread would would be like for either one of you? Uh, anything that might be positive or negative that I don't want to say clouded, but, but maybe it was a lens that you were looking through and uh, decided to get started?
0: I think uh, for me, it's the cancel culture and you're scared of saying the wrong thing. Then over time, I've realized that it's actually okay to be wrong. It's okay to put yourself out there. It's all part of growth. It's evolved from just watching and seeing what people do to actually me now generating content that other people can learn from. I see a whole uh, circle of mentorship where I learn from the experts in the field, the fathers of EP, and I pass it on to younger EPs and fellows. So it's a journey and it's, it's still going. It's
1: awesome. Dr. Panico.
2: Uh, yeah, I'd say that that was an initial kind of hurdle to, to come over is that, oh, I don't want to be the guy that says the wrong thing, that is like way off when somebody posts a question or requests for some you know, guidance, et cetera. Um, and then you realize everybody else is doing that same thing. Everybody else is having that same thought. And, and once you get past that, It's okay to be wrong. Same thing I tell my kids all the time. It's okay to be wrong as long as you learn from it and grow from it. My biggest hurdle goes all the way back to college though. And that was, I was the guy who didn't want to be on Facebook. I was the guy who saw, like, why would I want to be in this virtual environment where I'm connecting with people I don't know, this makes no sense to me. I wanna go hang out with the people that I can see right across the room. And uh, I've realized, you know, there is tons of value making those connections and it gets your foot in the door. It it opens up the opportunities to meet new people, to have new experiences. Um, And more importantly, it opens up a ton of opportunities for growth.
1: So you've talked, uh, both talked a little bit about consuming content. What is one piece of advice you'd give for posting on social media
2: tailor your content to your target audience depending on what platform you're using who you're trying to engage with you're probably going to tailor what you're doing and how you're doing it a little bit differently you know on on twitter which i view mostly as kind of the ep community it's mostly about you know cases science-based that kind of stuff and then when you start posting on other things where you're targeting more of a general public, whether it be you know consumers, patients, um, professionals, physicians. It doesn't really matter, but depending on the audience you're going for, you may change the way that you uh, produce the content.
1: Would you mind expanding on that a little bit? Maybe give me a for instance.
2: Sure. For instance, uh, my wife tells me all the time, uh, you know, this is really cool, but nobody understands what you're talking about, and it took me a while to break that habit because I'm just like, this is what my brain says, I'm gonna put it on paper. And, and, and that's okay in the right setting. You know, if I'm shooting a, a tweet out today after my case and uh, getting Dr. Allende to, to respond to it, like it's gonna be posted a certain way and it's gonna be with certain language. But if at the same time I'm trying to post, hey, this is fib and here's why you should take it seriously, go see your doctor, about it, then that needs to be targeted at the right audience. And, and the way that you create it is very important.
1: So I find it interesting that you're using the word targeting, and, and I'm curious uh, if when you started posting and putting content out, in your mind, when you're, you're saying, uh, well, I'm targeting this, it's, it's one thing to say targeting, it's another thing to do it. I'm curious what that meant to you and how you did it.
2: Yeah, it's a work in progress. Um, I have a lot of ideas. I have a little uh, idea journal that I, I write all this stuff down in of things that I want to try to do. Um, and I do have different strategies for each platform of what my goals are to accomplish within that space. Uh, I'm building a YouTube channel where I'm going to create a bunch of videos to help educate patients on their procedures, what to expect, um, kind of give them a look into what we do. So not only is it available for them to reference after they've come to a visit, they can share it with their family who has questions about, you know, oh, well, I saw this Dr. Panico guy and he says, I need to do this, but I don't know what it is, right? They don't know how to explain it. While I may have done a great job explaining it to them at that point in time, it's very hard for them to go back and repackage it for somebody else. We have a few videos we've made um, and posted on our website. And a couple times a week, I have patients come in who found me through a Google search, which linked to a video, which is me and one of my partners just answering some questions. And they're like, oh yeah, I saw your video. And I was like, yeah, that's the doctor. That's the doctor for me. That's the guy I want to go see. Um, And so, you know, you can see it used in the right context. There's a lot of value to other aspects of the social media side of things.
1: So I guess kind of like the podcast here, you didn't have to be perfect. You just had to be complete. It sounds like. Right. Exactly. Dr. Allende, what's your experience? I think
0: we we have the same ideas about, um, you know, patient videos. That's something I wish I had the time to create a complete set of videos for my patients. Because a 15-minute patient visit is not enough to explain why you need this procedure, how the procedure is done possible risks and what you expect afterwards. So those are things I look forward to creating. A lot of information online is wrong. So if you put the right information out there, even if they don't come to you, just the fact that it helps educate them and teach them what's correct, I think it's just for the general good.
1: You know, we often hear the term thought leader, right? Absolutely. Has there ever been anything kind of unexpected that has happened? Anything exciting or left handed turn that maybe uh, you weren't counting on?
2: I uh, posted a, an interesting case um, that we had done uh, here at the hospital. And it was just, you know, a, a different way of thinking about using something that already exists uh, to save a patient from potentially a high risk uh, procedure. And it was successful. And so we were. Elated that we got the result that we did, so I said, "All right, we should post this. We should put this out there so people know that this is something that could be that you could use. That you know, when faced between a rock and a hard place, here's another option." Um, And so, put it out there on I think LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. And the next thing I knew, a couple months later, I I get a call and says, "Hey, our global marketing director wanted to know if you'd be interested in recording a video." And I was like, yeah, absolutely. And I, do you think your patient would be interested? And I said, I don't know, I'll call him. So I called him and he was like, oh, doc, that sounds cool, yeah, let's do it. So there's actually a video that we recorded and it was two days of me being followed by a film crew uh, at the clinic, in the office, doing interview stuff, at the hospital, doing procedures. And that wouldn't have happened if I hadn't put this post out. That opened up a very you know unique opportunity, which will then kind of have a domino effect. It'll open up more unique opportunities. First year out of training, I
0: posted a, an interesting case and uh, Amin al DM'd me. I was like, wait, I read your textbook. It made me realize that, yeah, I may just be one year out of training, but I posted a case that was interesting enough that people you look up to found them interesting and responded directly to you. So uh, to me, that's one pivotal point. Uh, Moment in my approach to social media, it made me realize that you can actually connect with people that you would only necessarily maybe see at conferences. But yeah, so that was a big one. And like Dr. Panico, there was one time I published. Literature on techniques of doing left bundle pacing and uh, EP Lab Digest reached out. You know, would you be willing to write something about this and all that? So when they see what you're doing and you're consistent, they'll, they'll reach out to you. I think that's the big thing about it.
1: Ah, very interesting. Now, I'm curious if there have been maybe um, any, what do I call them, landmines or things that you've experienced in just this brief period of time that you were like, oh, you know, note to self, don't, don't do this, don't do that curious what your experiences have been maybe a little bit on the caution being a better part of valor, I suppose
0: yeah I, I can take that so one is definitely when you post remove all patient identifiers that's very important. The other thing is I'll never forget this it was my first year of fellowship. I was green. I had a case with my attendant and I I was going to suggest something to him and The first line that came out of my mind was, well, in my experience, and it's still a running joke until today. In my experience, yeah, that's Hakeem. So my point there is that if you're going to have an opinion, build some cachet. Don't just throw stuff out there. And finally, you want to avoid politics. That's very important. You you want to avoid
2: politics. Just be clear. This is professional. And I think those are the big
1: three. Dr. Panika, what about you?
2: He pretty much hit all the things I was going to say, especially the politics. Uh, politics and religion, try to stay f- far away from those because anytime, you know you're going to be wrong at least 50% of the time to 50% of the people, right? There's very little to be gained about that. Um, I also really think it's a good point and, and a good practice to try to stay away from pointing out others' you know, mistakes like There's very little to gain unless it's something that blatantly puts somebody else at risk. And here's why, Um, you know, there's really no utility in putting other people down within the EP community. We're a big community, but if you look statistically amongst physicians, we're one of the smallest communities. And so putting each other down serves no purpose to forwarding the practice of EP. So I try to really avoid anything like that. And the other thing again is just get out there, just do it. You know, oh, I probably shouldn't say that because that's like a Nike thing, but you just put yourself out there. You know, there's very little that'll go wrong if you just be yourself and and, and put it out there.
1: All right. Now I should have asked this earlier. Uh, I'm interested to find out if either of you have uh, like a separate social media feeds for personal and professional, or are they just mashed together? How do you handle those? I'm all professional.
2: Uh, everything. I, I don't do anything personal on there anymore. The reality is, you know, if I'm doing it was personal, it would be, be like pictures of my kids. <laughs> pretty much so Uh, there's not too many people that i don't already know that want to see that so i just kind of changed everything over to the same you know handle and kind of accounts
1: dr Ayende. yeah
2: same at this point i
0: don't think i have the bandwidth to um do personal and professional so i i do all professional and i have smaller groups smaller social
1: groups that i do uh personal with but overall
0: it's professional
1: Sure. So if you were to speak to someone who is about ready to start their practice, what's some advice to give those who are entering the EP space right now? Because it's probably different than when you got in. Dr. Panico, you go first.
2: Okay. Um, I think that one of the, the things about EP that's so you know fascinating is you wake up every morning and you're excited. Is it's always changing. There's always something new. We're always pushing some new technology, technique, procedure, you know, what's the envelope going to open up next? And so it's super exciting. I think one of the things uh, advice-wise I'd have for new EPs coming out is be ready, stay engaged, and social media actually helps do that. One of the things, you know, coming out of uh, almost 10-year training path in academic medicine was like transitioning to private practice was very, very different than what I was expecting and anything that I could have been prepared for. So I think that there is, you know, probably some educational opportunities there that that need to be explored, but you know, one of the hardest things to understand coming out of training is your worth and how do you use that to accomplish your goals? You know, how do you leverage what you can do to accomplish what you want to do? Dr. Allende? Yeah,
0: I I like where you're going with that, uh, Dr. Penico. So I think when you finish training, you're likely going to take a job at, you know, a big hospital-employed health system academic. And you've been training for so many years. And you've always been just, you know, one of the fellows. But as a physician, you are a highly skilled individual. And you're not just a cog on the wheel. So you have to build your personal brand. And I think that's something that you want to increase your own value. Uh, A lot of employers see you as replaceable, and and that's just a fact. They see you as this provider who sees X number of patients, does X number of procedures. Now, how do you develop value beyond just the economic aspect of that? That's how you can use social media to actually grow. You want to show what sets you apart. And even your employers will see that. And and that's something, even if you leave a practice, you know, whatever you've documented out there is still there. It's it's you and it lives with you. And I think that's something young people should really think about.
1: Dr. Panico, I want to talk a little bit more about some of the uh, watch outs or maybe negative things that our listeners could be aware of, because it's the reality of the conduit that is social media, right? A lot of things can be done, the power of it, the speed of it, so forth. What are some recommendations that you might give and, and maybe some examples?
2: Sure. Uh, I actually wouldn't say that I've had in like a truly negative experience, but I do think that one of the things, and oddly enough, this is a, sh- uh, a story that includes both of us, is you have to be careful of how you respond to a response. Um, For lack of a better term, there are haters out there, right? And no matter what you do, someone's going to say something. It's human nature. It's how we kind of function in this society. And I believe Kim had done a post on a nice case and really highlighting the current science, like the future of how we should be thinking about these things. And somebody responded and was like, well, why would you do that? you could have perfectly done it this way. And it was kind of like the old school versus new school almost. And I reposted something like great case would have done the exact same thing and then sent him a message on the side saying, Hey man, sweet case haters going to hate. Don't let it get you down. Something to that effect. Right. Just to point out, there's always going to be somebody out there that said you should have done it. Differently. And I think the one possible negative thing that could come out of social media is if you start doubting yourself, start doubting what you're doing, even when it's the right thing. So that's something I would caution people to kind of avoid letting happen. Dr. Ayande, any thoughts?
0: Yes, I actually had a very interesting experience. I think this was the height of the pandemic. There was a big racial reckoning in America. And I remember I had a post about race on my Twitter handle at that time. And then a patient came to see me for AFib and he was like, you know, I looked you up. It looks like you're very experienced. But then there was this post I saw and he brought up the post and we spent about 30 minutes talking about race and we, we ended up agreeing to disagree. I think that's where we left. And I told them, like, you know, you're here for your AFib and we can keep this to what it is. He came back to see me and we did an AFib ablation and and everything was fine and all that. And I think that was the last time I posted something that was deeply personal to me, because I realized that if you want to build a professional social media account and you put personal stuff in it, you're going to get a mix like that. And to me, that was not something I wanted to do. So maybe this is where people could have you know, separate accounts. You have the professional, and you have the personal. So, yeah.
1: Excellent. Well, you've both had some fascinating experiences, and I'd like to think that those are uh, who are in the EP field are going to look forward to hearing more from both of you. So, for those in the EP community that would like to find your content, what uh, what are your handles? Where can they find you, Doctor Padico? You go first.
2: Sure. I am at az underscore ep underscore doc. Uh, across all platforms. So that's on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, and then building the AZEP Doc okay. YouTube channel, which is a work in progress.
1: Dr. A A, how do we find you?
2: I'm at NaijaQRS, which is
0: N-A-I-J-A-Q-R-S on Twitter. And just by searching my first name, Hakim Asnima Yinde, you can find me on other platforms. Naija comes from my Nigerian heritage. Naija is... Kind of colloquial cool for Nigerians, so Nijak Niger QRS that's where that comes from.
1: Oh, that's awesome! Now, I have to ask, how did you come to know each other? Social media, yeah, social media. I've
0: been a fan, I'm like, oh, this guy does cool stuff, you know. And we've indirectly communicated, and he mentioned that I had that post, and somebody disagreed with me, and he just messaged me directly. I was like, hey, you, you did the right thing. I think the other thing that did it was when I posted a picture of what my lab did for my 40th birthday, and he was like, oh, my lab did the same. Oh, wait, you also
1: 40?
2: (laughs) Yeah. We turned 40 like a week apart. We realized we both have like the same number of kids, very similar work experiences, transitioning out of fellowship. And so, you know, opposite sides of the United States, like- Maybe we would have met at a conference or something, but I was just following his post. And I was like, he thinks a lot like I do. I like this guy. Right. And so we started going back and forth and now we're planning our family vacations together. Right, right. <laughs> totally, totally kidding about, totally kidding about the vacations so far. But Yeah, we got to, we got to get the boys together. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Well, listen, Dr. Panico and Dr. Iende, I want to thank you both very much for being here. And, and before we let you go, one last thing. I'm interested in you both giving me 30 seconds each on your favorite thing about being a practicing electrophysiologist. Dr. Iandé, go first. All
0: right. I think the, what makes EP really beautiful to me is the toolkit of EP to, to actually improve a patient's condition. Like sometimes this person needs ablation. Sometimes you need pacing therapy, whatever you need that can get the results, you know. So going there and actually not knowing what's going to happen and making it happen, I I think that's the beauty of it. And the other thing is when I do cases and I can get to yes, you know, when you do that scream like, yes, I got it. Yeah.
2: It just makes EP beautiful every day.
1: All right. Fantastic. Dr. Panico, go.
2: Very similar. um, I think at the fundamental uh, nature of it, it's it's being able to help people. You know, people are out there struggling day to day, and we have a bunch of tools that we can use to make them feel better, improve their quality of life. So when you have a patient that comes in and they are just elated and said, I haven't felt this good and I can't tell you how long, it's just, it's super rewarding. But just like Hakeem said, you know, It's always changing. Like, what are we going to find today? What about this procedure is going to be different, you know? And there's always new and challenging stuff to do, which keeps you intellectually curious and engaged. But what I do every day, I enjoy doing it. And you have those moments where you're like, man, nailed it. Like that went exactly how we wanted it to. And then you get that staff into it. Their intellectual curiosity is sparked, you know? It's really gratifying. And you tell them, hey, this is where I'm going to
0: terminate it. And boom, that is where you terminate it. They think you do magic.
1: Uh, you guys don't love what you do, do you? No, I'm not at all. No. All right. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much again for being on the podcast. Be well.
0: This podcast is sponsored by Biosense Webster Inc. The information contained in this podcast and findings and conclusions expressed are those reached independently by the authors. Copyright 2023 Johnson and Johnson Services Inc. All rights reserved. US underscore BWI underscore N A V I underscore three zero two eight five five